18, Genesis 18. It's been a couple weeks. Last week, Jonathan taught on uh, Excellent Wednesday as we stopped to mark the death of Christ on the cross with our Easter week services. And some of you may remember, I announced a few Sundays ago that uh, I'm going to start on one Wednesday a month going to the back and serving in the back. It gives an opportunity for me to get a chance to serve. Gives an opportunity for somebody else to get up here and teach and bless the body. I get a chance to serve with my wife, which I'm really excited about. Since I took over as a pastor 15 years ago, Dawn and I don't get to serve together anymore. So I'm looking forward to that. So last Wednesday was our week to serve in the back, and we taught the preschoolers. And we had 13 preschoolers. And I say this with a clear conscience, it's easier to teach you guys than it is to be in the back. So I have a complete, utter respect, because when you got 13 preschoolers, I'd rather be in front of 100 backslidden heathens than 13 preschoolers without a shadow of a doubt. So I totally respect what goes on in the back room there. Totally respect that. So Genesis 18, it's been a couple weeks since we got into this. We left off with the study of God promising Abraham and Sarah. We had the name change from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. And now he promised them, you will have a child. And that's when Abraham said, oh, what about Ishmael? God says, I got a plan for Ishmael, but you're going, you two at age 90 and 100 are going to have a child. And that's where we left off. Both Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed. So God says, name the kid Isaac, which means laughter. But now the story changes here a little bit because what we have here for the next chapter and a half is we have the focus on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what we're going to do here tonight is going to do the last half of chapter 18 where God introduces to us that he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Next week is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I doubt we'll have time to do all of it. The last half of Genesis 19 is Lot's response to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And obviously Sodom and Gomorrah is a big story in the Bible. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned in numerous other places. Even Jesus name drops the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we'll get into that. So the next two weeks at least, maybe the next three weeks, is going to be focusing on Genesis 18 and 19 as we get ready to talk about the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. With that being said, we have here in Genesis 18, Abraham hosting... What we believe is an appearance of God in the Old Testament with two angels that are with him. So there's these three heavenly visitors that are visiting Abraham. And what they have here in verses 16 through 33 is a really interesting conversation where they're almost um, negotiating for Sodom and Gomorrah. So what we're going to do is this. I normally don't do this. I'm going to read all of it to get the full context Then we're going to come back and break this down. Genesis 18, verse 16. Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he might command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it, and it has come to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall you not judge all the earth to do right? 
So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I would not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again, saying, Suppose there be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. And then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty shall be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. But once more, suppose ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. What a fascinating discussion going on. It reminds me of this. The boys got this bag of jelly beans for Easter. And they will come up to me and say, Dad, can we have some jelly beans? Yeah, you can have some jelly beans. But they do reverse negotiations. Do you care if I have a couple? No, we have a couple. Do you care if I have five? I don't care if I have five. Do you care if I have ten? And they just keep building it up, seeing how high they can get. This is working backwards. Fifty, forty-five, forty, thirty, twenty. Ten. That's all, just ten. Now, we know from studying out Genesis 18 that there's Lot, his wife, his two daughters, his two other kids, which are married. So there's at least eight in Lot's family. Now, I don't know if this was going through Abraham's mind at this time, saying, okay, there's at least eight. Come on, Lot, you can get two more. I don't know if that's the thought. I don't know. But ten people. Now, we don't know for sure how big Sodom and Gomorrah was. We know from studying out Genesis 18, this is a very large town. So 10 righteous people is not that difficult to think about in any way whatsoever. And we'll get to more of that next week. But you have this discussion that goes on back and forth. Now, there's just a couple little quick house cleaning points I want to say here. I find verse 19 great. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. You know, this really impacts me with having five little ones at home. Verse 19 is going to be a refrigerator verse for me. God has commanded me to look after my children, my household, and have my household keep the way of the Lord. If you've got little ones at home, what a great verse for you, just to remind you. As the leader of this house, I want my household, my family, my children to seek after the Lord. I think that's a great, simple little point there that we see. Now, there's really two main points with this lesson tonight. Just two main points. And I think they're both of them are very applicable of what we're talking about here. Dustin, you can go ahead and bring up that uh, PowerPoint if you want. I just made a quick PowerPoint here, and it's just scripture references. And if you want to, we're going to go through these together. Just scripture references of what's going on here. The first point you see is this. Verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Be honest with yourself. You guys have been walking with the Lord for a while. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I think there's times that God has hidden things from me. I don't like it. And it almost seems like we're playing hide and go seek with God. You know, Lord, if you really want me to do what you want me to do, why don't you make it so clear? I mean, seriously, we look at the Old Testament, we look at New Testament, we just studied a couple Sundays ago, you got angels showing up and telling Peter exactly what to do. I mean, God, you showed up in Genesis 18, and you, are, you personally are telling Abraham what to do? I, why don't we have that? And the response always back to that is, you got it better. 
God chooses to live inside of you. Live inside of you. God chooses to live in your heart in the form of the Holy Spirit. That is better than what they had in the Old Testament. Now, some people disagree with that because they say, well, look at this interaction. This interaction was very, that's the word I'm looking for. It was on God's timetable. We just studied out here in Genesis, as far as we can tell between a couple of these chapters, there's a 14-year time span that goes on where maybe the Lord appeared to Abraham and talked to him. We don't know, but it sure looks like it didn't. So you get a one-on-one with God, face-to-face. Amen. Now, he's not going to show up again for 14 years. And you don't know when he's going to show up again. But yet, you and I, living in this age of grace, any time we want to talk to God, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we can speak to God, as the book of Hebrews says, boldly. I can go to the Lord any time I want and say, I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm praising you, I'm happy, I'm sad. Anytime I want. It's not this, Lord, you appeared, amen, and now I don't see you again for a decade and a half. We take for granted this idea of God living in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. If that's the only point you get out of tonight, then amen. But the question comes up, if God lives inside of us, verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Has there not ever been a time where you felt like you have tried to seek the Lord and what his will is, and you just get nothing? This is not a message tonight on figuring out God's will. This is just a couple quick points, because I really, the more I study this out, I don't think God is trying to hide his will from us. I really don't think that. I think what he's asking us is, are you willing to put effort into finding out what my will is? And I just want to hit some of these scriptures here real quick. Can you go with me? Romans 12. So let's just go right in order here, and we're going to talk about some of these verses. How do we find out what God's will is for our life? God is revealing to Abraham. I'm not going to hide this from you, Abraham. God doesn't want to hide his will from us today. So, Lord, how do you let us know what it is? First one, Romans 12, please. Romans 12, and we're just going to do verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right there, verse 2. Paul is telling you, you can know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Let's work backwards. Verse 2, you need to be conformed. Excuse me, you need to be transformed. So if you want to know God's word, word, you can't be doing what the world does. You can't. If you are living your life just like the world does, how do you expect God to speak to your heart? He's asking you to be different. And how does he ask you to be different? Verse 1, to be a living sacrifice. I remember Rose told us years ago, and I've never forgot it. She goes, the problem with the living sacrifice is it wants to crawl off the altar. No one wants to be a living sacrifice. We want our own will and desire. So the first step in knowing God's will is you've got to sacrifice your own desires. You know, if your will is for you, is to work at this job, marry this person, and do this or do that, you have to be willing to sacrifice your desire and say, Lord, I want what you want. And I've seen too many people reach the point of spiritual frustration because they won't sacrifice their own desires. And so when they pray and seek God, 
God is revealing to them what he wants them to do. They just don't want to listen. And so since they don't want to listen, they don't know the will of God. And there's this spiritual frustration. And they feel like they're not being heard. They feel like God's ignoring them. No. God is saying, do this. We got this thing we do at home. Is if we ask the boys to do something, we expect and assume they're going to do it. So if we say something like, go to your room and get your socks on and get your shoes on, we're getting ready to go. If they stop and ask a question... I will say, I will answer that question once you have your shoes and socks on. Now, if it's an emergency, they have every right to interrupt us, let us know. But we always say, if you do what we ask of you first, we will gladly listen to anything you have to say. I think spiritually we do the same thing to the Lord. The Lord says, I want you to do this. Okay, Lord, I hear what you want to say, but I really want to focus on this. That's where the Lord says, no, listen to me. Sacrifice your own desire. So if you're in a spot right now and you don't, know what the Lord is leading you to do or you're feeling confused? Simple question. Have you sacrificed yourself to the Lord to say it's not my desires, but your desires? Once you do step one, that allows the Lord to speak. Let's go to the next one here. We've got two in the book of James. James 1, please. James 1. Just as God wanted to reveal to Abraham what he was supposed to do, the Lord wants to reveal to us. The first step in that is we sacrifice our desires. It's not about me, it's about the Lord. What's the next thing here in knowing God's will? James 1, verse 5. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, no be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The next key word here is faith. If you're asking God to know his will, you have to have faith that he's going to answer, and you have to have faith that his answer is the best answer. I've seen too many people, myself included, where I say, Lord... What's your will in this? What do you want me to do? I pray it, amen, and I just walk on. Well, why would I not stop and listen? If I'm asking God for wisdom, he promises that he'll give it to me. Or I'll tell people, they don't know what to do. Well, you need to go pray and seek the Lord on this. And this is the response I hear. I'll pray. I don't know what good it's going to do. Right there, you're not getting an answer. If that's the way you treat God, I'll pray, but I don't know what good it's going to do. Or I pray and nothing ever happens. I pray and I don't get an answer. You're already going into prayer lacking faith. You're already going in saying, I don't know if God's going to move, work, answer, what have you. Boy, faith is the trigger that fires. You need that. What happens when you don't have faith? Verse 6, you are like a wave tossed to and fro in the sea. Have you ever seen anybody like that? Oh, one day God's good, marriage is good, life's good, work's good. Oh, next day it's the worst life in the world. They're up and down, up and down. Why? Because their life is not a life of faith. Their life is a life of them. And when you talk to them, you're like, well, what, what am I going to get today? Oh, today's a good day. Amen. But tomorrow is going to be the worst day in the world. Up and down, up and down. What? Look at verse 7. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. God's not mean But if you don't believe he can move mountains, he's not going to move mountains just to prove to you that he can. He's already proven anything he needs to prove. He's not one of those guys that you can use reverse logic into. You know, God, I know you can't fix this situation. I really hope he does. 
No, he, he's not going to prove anything to you. He already does it. If you don't believe that he can move mountains, if you don't believe he's going to give you wisdom and guidance, he's probably not going to. Because why, verse 8, you're double-minded. Which means you have one foot in, in the Lord and one foot in the world. Some days you're godly, some days you're worldly, and the Lord says, you're double-minded, I can't work with this. I can't work with this. One day you love me, one day you don't care, one day you care about me, one day you don't. And, and people then in that situation get frustrated because they feel like they don't have a real strong relationship with the Lord. And the truth is, they don't have a strong relationship with the Lord. They're double-minded, they're unstable, they're not walking in faith. Let's do one more here in the book of James before we take a quick break. James 4, verse 3. Why is it sometimes that we don't know the will of God? Verse 3 of James 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. This is when my kids ask for ice cream for breakfast. No. Well, you're the meanest dad in the world. No, I'm not. Christians ask for ice cream all the time. Lord, she's the greatest person in the world. Give her to me. Lord, that's the best job I've ever seen. I want that. Oh, man, we don't know anything. I don't know how many times people have run into the greatest person, the greatest job, the greatest ministry, the greatest house, the greatest whatever, and they ask God to rubber stamp everything they do. No. God says no because he knows it's not good for us. So when I run into somebody who says, I keep asking and asking and asking, and God keeps saying no, maybe we need to do a real good heart check and say, Am I asking because of my pleasure or because this pleases the Lord? Because if it pleases the Lord, God wants to do it for you. If it doesn't please the Lord, as a loving father, he's going to tell you no. So, just as Abraham was going to know the will of God, God says, I'll let you know my will too. But you've got to sacrifice your own desires. You've got to have faith. You've got to make sure you have the right motives. Dustin, go to the next slide. Please go to Proverbs, please. We've got two more verses on this real quick. But we're going to take a quick break here as you go to the next slide. Proverbs 20. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything that we've covered thus far of those first three points of knowing the will of God? Actually, we'll go to Proverbs 3. David. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens with that, there becomes this, this back and forth on it. You know, God has said, if you're in my will, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But there's also times where we have to stop and say, does my will line up with the Bible? And let me give you an example of that. If you have an unsaved loved one, and let's say you pray for that person to come to know Christ, days turn into weeks, into months, I don't think as a believer we stop and say, well, it's obviously the Lord's will for that person to go to hell. No. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because you can align your prayer with the will of God. You know the will of God is for everyone to be saved. That's what God wants. So therefore, you know that you can keep praying. If you're praying for a fruitful ministry at work, if you're praying for a deeper understanding of God's word, those are things you know aligned with His will. I guess what I'm saying on sometimes, especially the James passage there of the wrong motives, if you keep praying for that certain job or that certain thing, you may have to stop and ask yourself, is my wisdom lining up with the Lord's wisdom? 
And that's where we sometimes have to stop and say, my motives may not be pure. But certain things like you're saying, David, for sure, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Lord, bless Harvest Fellowship for fruitful ministry. Lord, save that marriage. Lord, help that person come to know Christ. Definitely keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But there's other times where we have to stop and say, what are my motives on this? What are my motives? Because if God answered every prayer that we've ever asked, how many of us would be in the biggest mess you've ever seen? We'd be living at the wrong place. We'd be married to the wrong person. We'd be at the wrong job. There's a praise that God sometimes says no. And I think of Paul, where he prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for thee. So Paul knew at that time the best thing to do was just to stop and say, okay, Lord, this is what you've given me. But there are also times, too, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Just make sure that lines up with the nature of Jesus and God's word and never give up on something like that. So that's a good point. Anybody else have anything here before we move on to the next two? Okay, first one there is that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I have quoted that verse probably more than any other verse. The problem is we don't do verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Problem is people lean on their own understanding. So they hear this verse, they quote this verse, but they still lean on their own understanding. And I don't mean to keep using these same examples again, but these are the ones that pop up all the time. This job would be really great for me and my family. Based on what? Based on your own understanding. They offered me that promotion at work. Well, of course it means I'm going to go from 40 hours a week now to 65 hours a week. But the money's going to be great. So it's a great thing for my family based on what? Your own understanding. Part of being a believer is to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. There's times where we've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, this looks good. I mean, this looks real good, Lord. But we don't want to make this decision based on human intellect and wisdom and guidance. So we do not lean on our own understanding. We acknowledge you in all ways and that you'll direct our paths. Last one here before we change topics. Proverbs 20, verse 5. I like this one. Proverbs 20, verse 5. I think this one sums up everything we're talking about of knowing God's will. Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. There's this visual of this deep well with you got feet and feet and feet of rope, and you're letting that bucket down. And as you pull that bucket up of water, that bucket's heavy, and it's a lot of work, but you're willing to draw that water out even though it's a lot of work. That's the same way it is with seeking God's will. It is a lot of work. And to be honest, we don't have the spiritual strength to seek out His will. We usually stop. Lord, what's your will for this? No answer, not a clear enough answer, not a loud enough answer. I'm just going to go on my own and make a decision. I've had so many people over the years say, and I, they'll come up with a big decision. I say, did you pray about it? Yeah. Well, what the Lord say? I don't know what He said, but I've got to make a decision, so I'm just going to go with it. Wow. Think about what we're saying there. I never got God's answer, so I'm just going to go with the best idea I got. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, you know what? I need to make a decision. Then I suggest you don't sleep tonight and you start praying and fasting right now. Why would you go with your own wisdom? Verse 5, 
You have to draw it out. There's this one guy, I love him. I love him so much. But he has no spiritual patience. We'll talk on the phone. He'll, and he'll have a situation that pops up. And I'll say, man, you've got to pray about this. I'm going to pray about it. I kid you not, 10 minutes later, I'll get a text. Pray about it. So I don't got anything yet. You've got to build on this. And it's become this ongoing joke between us. You've got to have more patience as you seek the Lord. Look at this verse one more time. It's deep water. You have to draw it out. It takes work. It takes effort. But as you draw it out, you become so much closer to Christ. Because you're in the Word. You're in prayer. You're listening. And as you're listening, you're you're becoming closer to Him. Because as you get to know Him... I mean, when one of my boys wants to come help me do something for the day, there's a closeness because you spend all day together working together. When you're drawing up deep water, you're spending all day working. So what keeps us from drawing up deep water? Look at the verses around this. Verse 3, Proverbs 20. It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. If you're in an argument or fight with people, I bet you're not going to get much wisdom from God. Verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He'll beg during harvest and have nothing. If you're lazy in prayer and being in the word, how do you expect God to answer you? Verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? I know people that don't pray that much because they're, they're so smart, they already know what to do. They proclaim their own goodness. Look at the verses around this passage. You have the people that are fighting. Verse 4, you have the lazy. Verse 6, I already know what I'm supposed to do. If that's what's going on in your life, how are you going to be have time to go into the deep water of God and draw it out? I tell you this, if you've got any big decision coming up in life, boy, if you've got any small decision, the best thing you could do is spend time with the Lord seeking it. And, and I tell you, if you're married and you and your spouse don't agree on it, just start praying together. Lord, we're not in agreement on this. Please show us your will on this. If you and your kids are in agreement, say, you know what? Instead of arguing about it, let's just pray about it together. Lord, you show us your will on this. Let the Lord guide and direct. Just like he told Abraham, shall I hide this from him? No. Lord wants to reveal what his plan is. But do we have the time, patience, and effort to dig into the deep well to get it out? Have you got any quick questions, comments here on anything there of seeking out God's will? All right, we just got two more verses to share and then we're done. Can you go to the last slide here? Changing topics. Look at the nature of God when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah. When we get to Sodom and Gomorrah next week and we see the sin that Sodom and Gomorrah was, for the Lord to stop and say, if there's ten righteous people in it, I won't destroy it. And look what else he did. This is so important. Verse 22 of Genesis 18. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. They went to go check this place out. Verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God says, before I judge him, I'm going to go check this out first. Now, we know what happens next week. The two angels go to Sodom to check out what's going on, and the men of Sodom come up and want to rape them. But God said, I'm going to go check this out. See, the thing is, before the Lord went and cleansed the temple in the New Testament, the Bible says he went the day before and checked out the temple to see. See, we have the total misunderstanding of God. We envision God as the angry man that lives upstairs that gets his kicks off sending people to hell. He loves judgment. 
Oh, he loves judgment. He loves to toast people, burn people. He loves to give you a bad day. What I see here in Genesis 18 is God saying, you know what, Abraham? Come on, if there's 10 people, 10 people out of a city of potentially thousands and thousands and thousands, I'll save the whole city. 10 people. That's a God of grace and mercy. This is the God in verses 21 and 22 that says, even before I judge it, I'm going to go there first just to make sure. That's grace and mercy. Look at these two verses. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look at Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? The world thinks God sends people to hell, enjoys it, etc., where the Bible says he is a God of grace, mercy, and compassion. Genesis 18 shows us too often we only study Genesis 19. God torches the whole town. What about Genesis 18 where God says, you just show me 10 righteous people and I'll spare the whole city. What about Genesis 18 where God says, let me go check it out first before I do any type of judgment. God has no joy in the death of the wicked. None. But for some reason, that attribute of God has been lost in the 21st century. Because God hates us all. No, God loves us all. He may hate sin, but he loves us all. And what we see here in Genesis 18 is a God that says, Abraham, I'm not going to hide my plan from you. I want you to know my plan. What I see in Genesis 18 is a God that says, I don't want to destroy this town. I want this town to live. Show me ten righteous people. I'll spare the whole town. That's a God of grace and mercy. So those are the points for tonight. God is a God of grace and mercy, which means we're a God of grace and mercy. It's amazing how we're saved through the forgiveness of Jesus, but yet we harbor unforgiveness and bitterness and anger towards other people. God wants to reveal His will to us, but yet we sit here and complain, God doesn't speak to me. He does speak to you. Are you willing to put the effort to draw the water out of the deep well? God will answer you. So those are the main points for tonight. We're going to get into Sodom and Gomorrah next week with Genesis 19. Does anybody have any final quick questions, comments here about anything we covered tonight? God's will, uh, God's righteousness, God's love before we close up here. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. And Lord, we want to be servants of you. And as servants of you, we want to know your will for our lives. So Lord, help us to do everything we talked about tonight. We give you our lives, our desires. We die to that. We, Lord, will ask for your will, your will. We will not be the double-minded man. We will put that effort into drawing out the deep water of wisdom. Help us to do that. And, Lord, you're a God of grace, mercy, and compassion. Help us to remember that. You have no joy in the death of the wicked. Help us, Lord, to truly love all we run into. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless.